Welcome to the Believe and Follow podcast. The entire Word of God may be summed up with these three words, Believe and Follow. The method God has always chosen to deal with mankind is this. God makes promises and gives instructions. He expects us to believe His promises and follow His instructions. The goal of this podcast is to make this simple truth clear and dispel the false teachings that are so commonly accepted as true. I'm your host, James Ritazzi. In the fullness of time, God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to be the living personification of the truth. Jesus promises forgiveness and eternal life to all who follow him. You may agree or disagree with all or some of what you hear in this podcast, All are welcome to email in their suggestions or comments. If you have a suggestion for a guest on the podcast, or even if you would like to appear as a guest, email me at james at believeandfollow.org. This is episode four. What you'll hear next is a free-form discussion that touches on some of the issues related to walking by faith. So this is part two of Walking by Faith. Next week will be part three. Let's talk about walking by faith. What does it mean when the Apostle Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight? What does he mean? I think he means to let, um, I think it means to um, let our faith in God um, and his word guide us so we're walking by faith we're walking by the belief that we have in the scripture the apostles example like so if we believe and we have faith that there is a god and that he has given us his word and the examples of the apostles to follow then we will use those things to guide us and that it, to me, is like what walking by faith is. So the not by sight part, like yeah. has for me, like has to do with um, trusting in God to know what's best for us, and not walking um, by what we necessarily think is what's best for us, because our like vision of ourselves and the world and our perceptions are limited. So we don't always know what's best. But if we have faith. And we trust the Bible that it has like the answers in it, and we follow what it says. Then we'll always be making the best decisions instead of like leaning on our own understanding. Um, 
that's that's to me the rest of that part. And God kind of sets time. it up that way. The way he sets it up quite often is Abraham, right? He waited till Abraham was 75 years old to start promising him that he was going to have a kid. So it's kind of like he's setting it up that well. If you go by the things you can observe, you you may have occasion to doubt God's promise. God often sets it up that you have to lean on faith in Him for what you're doing. You have any thoughts, Jeremy? I mean, just the obvious, I guess. For me, it has a lot to do with um, that we don't see, you know, these pillars of fire. You know, we don't have prophets who, you know, hear the voice of God anymore. And instead, we have the Bible, which is something that they didn't have back then. And. Uh, I guess not many burning bushels. Yeah, it's just, right. So we have to realize that God has given us, you know, everything, you know, all that basically, but just in a different form today. And we have to have faith that you know this is this is enough for us. Even though you know we don't see burning bushes or walls of water where we can walk through a, an ocean and things like that, but. It's kind of big. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's interesting how, even though quite often in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel and some of the characters had some of these obvious signs, did not help them so much. People are going to be disobedient, they'll be disobedient even if somebody is raised from the dead. Now, here's a question though. So, what about this idea that if you're walking by faith, it excludes doing certain other things. What would it exclude? Well, there's a... I think it's in Ephesians. Uh, Lean not to your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge God, and he will direct your paths. It's not in Ephesians, but where is it? Jeremiah. Jeremiah? But anyway. But you're right. Lean not on your own understanding... Because God knows exactly what he wants. How does that impact on some of the issues that we've been discussing about how we're supposed to follow the instructions that we see in the Bible? Or does it impact? <laughs> it's Proverbs? Yeah. Proverbs 3. It's Proverbs 3, okay. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Okay. What is the one I'm thinking of that's in Jeremiah? I'm thinking it's Jeremiah 10.23. Jeremiah 10.23? Yeah, I know that the way of man is not in itself. Okay, it's yeah, but... walk to direct his Right, 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 but that's a similar thought. Okay, that's, that's definitely the similar thought. So, the examples that we see in the New Testament, are they examples that we are to follow? Or are they just... If we want to do things a little bit differently, is that okay? Are they only suggestions? Are they only suggestions? Yeah, right. Are they only the ten suggestions? I <laughs> <laughs> summed it up really well last week when he said, if it's an approved example in the Bible, we have the authority to do that. And, and if there's not an approved example in the Bible, we don't have the authority to do that. I think as long as there is an approved example in the Bible 
of something, that we have the authority to do it. Um, and if there's not an approved example in the Bible that shows, that gives us the authority to do it, then we don't. So, okay. And I think that's like really, really simple. Right, but just, really simple, but you now. You just look for the example to be there. Right. So it's now. you can do or not. I agree that principle is really simple. I mean, do we all agree with that principle? Yeah. Okay. We all agree that that's what the Bible teaches us. Hmm? Well, in other words, is the pattern of the entire Bible that we need to seek the authority from God for what we're doing in the church? In fact, in our lives, and let's just stick to the church for the moment. Agree or disagree? I'm not sure. Aha, uh -huh, okay. I'm not sure. So maybe the way to do it is citing examples of things that churches do that either positive or negative examples. Churches do this because it says it in the Bible. Like churches have the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week because it says it in the Bible. Churches baptize. We all pretty much agreed on that one. Churches baptize because it says it in the Bible. Yeah, but the method of baptism isn't always the same, isn't always... What is the method of baptism? The method of baptism in the Bible is dunking. Okay. But that's not the way that uh, churches... No, that's not always the way the church is baptized. Right. So let's say a church uses a different method, like sprinkling. Right. right? We kind of discussed is that. It, no, that's like, is, it, is it then not walking by faith because it is not following the approved example? Exactly. You would say yes. Okay. So, but what about all those churches? There are lots of churches that sprinkle people. Millions and millions of people think they were baptized because they had water sprinkled on their heads. Millions and millions of people are in trouble. <laughs> all right, then. So, what do you think? Well, how about those who are dry clean? <laughs> but that's a good point, because somebody might say, but wait a second now, we've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds hundreds of years. But you subvert, now you, you can find this and I haven't had time to look it up, but you subvert the will of God by uh, the traditions, by your own traditions. Mark chapter 7, and many such things you do. I think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about That was there. with a capital M. In Mark chapter 7, where he says, and many such things you do. You know, we're commanded to baptize, then we're given the example of how to baptize. If we decide to do it differently, are we baptizing in the name of the Lord? Are we baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, if we're using in the name of... Because there's such a thing as infant baptism. Okay. You're, you're, getting, you're getting to the point I was going to make. Follow that up. Okay. There is such a thing as infant baptism. Go ahead. Why? I, I think that, that one of the patterns would be um, the idea from the Old Testament of circumcision. You did that to babies. Um, so, um, and, and, and that brought the, the baby into, you know, being part of, of Israel. Okay. Right. So, um, I think that a person who would, um, who would, who would, um, be in favor of infant baptism would probably want to use that as a, as, as a basis, you know, because this way 
if a baby were brought into Israel that way, then why not a baby being brought into the church um, through, the, through infant baptism? Okay, so perfectly reasonable thinking that many people share. Yeah. What verses would you use to support that idea? Well, I don't have any moment, but I'm sure that... In the New Testament. I could find something. Really? Then that's... But, the, I, but I, I mean, uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't looked, but uh, I, I'm sure if I, if I, if I looked, I, I, I'd find something. So that'll be your assignment. I'm glad you're saying that. I'm glad you made that response, but this is another process. <laughs> Let me just do this bit, and then, Tony, you, you, you can do your bit. I've had people calling me up and talking about some topic. Like, for example, some preachers preach prohibition. They preach that you shouldn't touch alcohol. And a woman once called me up. It was a very intelligent woman. Editor for the New York Times said, what does the preacher know that I don't know? I don't get that from my reading of, of Scripture. It must be somewhere because he's preaching it with such confidence. That's kind of like what your answer is. You say, some people baptize infants. So the authority must be somewhere in the scripture, even though I don't know exactly where it is right now. But the authority must be somewhere because so many people are doing it. And of course, it's been my experience that there is no authority for telling people that for teaching prohibition and there's no authority for baptizing infants either because it doesn't say but I'll let you prove it for yourself You're, the challenge to you is bring me bring me the verses in the New Testament that indicate that that's what we should be doing now Tonya your turn I was going to say I think um, that we have more scripture to indicate that, that that's not a thing that we should be doing and um, I like this passage in Hebrews 10 I'm sorry, Hebrews 8, my bad. In in Hebrews 8, where it starts talk where he's talking about the difference between um, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Testament. I, um, mm-hmm. And he can I just read it? Sure, what verse? Sorry, what verse? Um, so I'm gonna start in um, I'm gonna start in verse 8, and I will read all the way to eleven. Okay. So what he's saying in Hebrews 8, he is discussing, first of all, that Jesus is the high priest of a better covenant. The agreement that we're under in the church is better than the agreement that God had with the nation of Israel. I mean, I can start back at verse 6. Well, it's up to you. I'll, you can stop where you, you want. But that, um, so I can start at 6. Yeah, start at 6 is <clears throat> good. You work into it. Um, but And then I'm reading from the King James Version because, you know, I'm old school. Um, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. From the least to the greatest. The thing that that I like about this passage that I kind of take away from it is there's this idea that 
um, compares the old the Old Testament or the um, the Jew um, who were Jewish and God's people without actually knowing Him right. through this rite of like circumcision to the New Testament Christian who it's impossible to actually be a Christian without knowing God. It's so if you don't already have an understanding of God, then you can't be in this covenant because he specifically says like everyone who is in the covenant will already know who I am so you have to have some kind of basic understanding of who God is and that is in line with baptism with baptism being a conscious choice and we see that in every example in the New Testament where people are baptized it never mentions baptizing an infant never mentions baptizing a child we only see examples of men and women being baptized in the New Testament because those are the people who are capable of believing and making a conscious decision and knowing something about God before that. We see that compared to the Old Testament where they didn't have that option. They were born into this religion and so even though they were already Jewish they were constantly being reminded of like, well this is what God expects this is what you need to do. And in the New Testament we see that that through this we see that in the New, in the new Covenant that that's, that that's the backward way that the Old Testament was but that's not the way that God expects it to be anymore. I think that's exactly it. And we also see in, in the baptisms in the New Testament, people asking to be baptized. People came to John the Baptist to be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, where the people asked, what must we do to be saved? And then Peter answered, repent, be baptized. So I agree. It's a, baptism is as the result of a choice. So you were going to say something? Well, I was going to say that, um, that the fact that this is a, that it's written... Um, uh, in verse 10, the covenant, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their, in their hearts. Then these people that claim uh, infant baptism might, might use this, might, might use this very verse to, to back up their, their, their position. How so? How? Because it says, uh, I, I will, because it says I will, I will, you know, put my laws in their mind and write them in their, in their hearts. Just that, 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 that very idea. That, that, that this is something written in my mind and in my heart. But how does that happen? We don't have examples well, of that happening no, except but, but for the thing about it is that, um, that, that they, they, they might use that. How they, does that? that? Yeah, right, they might use it, but then we would come back with what? <laughs> we would come back with... May I address that? Uh -huh. Sure, go ahead, because I know what I'd come back with. Go ahead, let's see. <laughs> no, 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 I want to hear yours. I want to hear yours, because we're always hearing mine. Go ahead. Lay it on us. Now this this verse these these verses give a good illustration. So we already have this, the the scripture in question it has been read. But what what I take it to say, among many other things, is that in both the old uh, covenant and the new covenant, the the thing that uh, that leads to uh, to salvation to transformation is um, obedience but obedience in one case to the law and in the other case to God's instruction through grace they're both obedience but to very different things or under very different circumstances okay I think you're on the right track in other words where does faith come from 
Right. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. You were just waiting for a chance to say that. Yeah, but Claude led us into it. I get what you're saying, and I agree I mean, that someone what... might say that. Someone might read these verses, and in the absence of anything else, say, well, he's miraculously going to plant the idea in my head. Right. And I agree, someone might think that. But the meaning is not that he's going to miraculously plant the idea in, in, in your head, but the meaning is the people, the people that I'm making this covenant with are people that know me. He's contrasting it with the Old Testament. And that's an interesting thing because there was a time when churches just taught the New Testament and did not teach the Old Testament. And this is one of those verses that you're never going to get unless you've read the Old Testament. Just pulling the Old Testament passage out and planting it in here and expecting that you're going to understand it if you don't understand the context. And what was he exactly doing with the nation of Israel? It's not going to happen. And I could see someone, if they just have the New Testament, thinking that. But even the rest of the New Testament belies that thought. I could see someone going there. But we clearly understand that it's incorrect. But yeah. think that, that doesn't mean that person is going to accept your... your um, your, your idea that, that, that what they're saying is incorrect. Well, then we'd have to pull out the verses that show, like, for example, Romans well, 10, here, 17. But, but faith, it sort of indicates here that, that if he's putting the laws in their mind and writing it in their hearts, it doesn't have to appear anywhere else. But the question becomes, how does he do that? And the Bible specifically tells us in the New Testament, in several other places, that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. To save, to save them believe. But like, and again in Romans ten seventeen, that hearing, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And we see the examples of preaching over and over throughout the New Testament. God is saying, sure, I will plant my words and write them in their mind and plant them in their heart. But He shows us throughout the New Testament how that's done as well. How is that done? How is that accomplished throughout the New Testament? It's done through the Word. It's done through the examples. It's done through preaching. That's how God does it. So yeah, we can't. But the, but the thing about it is, the Roman Catholic Church um, is, you know, is, um, you know, um, a lot of. I mean, they were the. They came down from the apostles before the, you know, whatever. And uh, they were the ones that, that had this idea of infant baptism. Does the information that we have in the Bible, in the New Testament, agree with this concept of this papal transition from Peter down through today? As a matter of fact, no, because if you look at the history of the church on the Catholic apologetics, I'm not sure what pope we're up to by the time Revelation is written. But notice the messages to the seven churches in Asia. Christ writes individually to the seven churches. It's not written to Pope so-and-so. The point is there's no authority for this idea. And, and this is one of the reasons why Keith was harping so much on the elders in every church. What the Roman Catholic Church has is one elder who's a, who's a head over the whole church. There's no authority in the New Testament for that. There's a whole bunch of stuff that the Catholic Church teaches. Wasn't, wasn't James um, still like considered the, 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 the head of the church um, yeah. in, the, yeah. in the book of Acts? 
No. James well, in Acts 15, I mean, right? Because uh, didn't I mean? There's well, Peter somebody came down with the with the, with the with the pronouncement, you know, about the the, the four things that, that these um, <laughs> Gentiles should do. You know, right? Their agreement to, to write that letter. Blood. Yeah. Um, stay away from blood. Things strangled. And whatever the other meat sacrifice, sacrifice, yeah, yeah, all, all that. That was what they all agreed uh, didn't, together. Didn't somebody, didn't somebody come? It says know, they all agreed. It says they all agreed together. There, we have Peter talking. We have James talking there, yeah, yeah, right? James. We have the Apostle Paul talking too. It's interesting in Acts chapter fifteen. First of all, what did they say they didn't have to do? Because what was the topic of that debate there in Acts fifteen? They didn't have to circumcise the Gentiles. Yeah, they, right. So even though this letter mentions. It's a good idea to keep away from strangled animals and uh, and blood and um, and these things. The major gist of that letter was to tell the Gentiles they didn't have to be circumcised. But notice what it also says. It says this pleased the entire group. And what they were doing there, they did not come up with any new revelation. They just applied what they already knew in Acts chapter 15. Well, let's go to Acts chapter 15. Because in verse 13 it says, uh, And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. And then it goes on from there. Right. Yeah, so he's Brothers, listen to me. Just from that single verse, can you infer that James is the leader of the church? No. No. He's just one of the guys that were talking, and they got up and spoke. And there were a few people that got up and, and spoke. They listened to Barnabas and Paul, right. and, and then James made a reply. And I think there's also a spot where Peter's talking there, or it just mentions it. I don't think it says. Well, it's, it, re it says Simeon later, who I think might be Simon Peter. Right. Could be some someone else, but and the conclusion is in verse 19. Therefore, my judgment, and this is James talking, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For the ancient generations, Moses has in every city repentance for he is in every Sabbath and synagogues. Then look at verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose from among them and send them to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, and they sent. So it shows that they all agree. It doesn't say, and so James commanded and therefore we do. Even though one might think that from the verse, James stands up and said, well, stood up and said, listen to me. But then what you have to do is every time that one of those thoughts comes into your head, you got to compare it with the whole rest of the text. Go ahead, we, we also get the, the idea from this passage from the very beginning that that teaching came from outside. Yes. That it wasn't the way that the church was operating. But then there came this new teaching that was troubling the people. When it says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to, the, to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So what we have here is things were being done a certain way. And then a group of people came in with another idea, an outside teaching, and then there was disagreement about whether that new, that new teaching 
was acceptable or not. Was binding. Was binding. Was, was, bi- was binding. Right. Was binding or right. acceptable right. or approved, uh, like an approved teaching, and that and that's the way that that the people always depart. So you have in the New Testament they come up with something that seems to make sense. Something that, but yeah. but it, but we have like the, the very basic principle that from from the very beginning we even see that it's happening. They have the way that things are taught, the approved examples, the established way that the church was operating, and then there's an idea from the outside. Or someone comes up with something and they introduce this idea, and then we have to test and see, well, is this good or is it bad? Does it fit? Is there an approved example of it? And that's what we should do with everything. So if we go back to the original source and all the approved examples in the New Testament, and we can't find an approved example of what we're trying to teach, then we're the ones who are coming in from the outside, and there's just not approval for it. We can't force like approval into the New Testament for something just because we want to do it. Right, and it's an interesting thing because this is kind of similar to your baptism thing in a way because it's like, you know, circumcision, because you're using circumcision for that and they're they're trying to actually bind circumcision on the Gentiles. But the point is, circumcision was something that was commanded by God to the nation of Israel. So I could see somebody thinking, particularly if you were Jewish, look, God commanded it. So we need to command the Gentiles to do that. The letter of the Hebrews goes on and on and says there was a change. We're under a new covenant in the New Testament. This is what Hebrews starts off with, right? In the past, God spoke in various ways, through the prophets, etc. But now he speaks through his son. So the idea that in the Old Testament, they did this thing to infants. So we must have, and I agree, the Catholics kind of use that argument. We must have a similar ritual for infants because the Jews did that, that line of reasoning is not what was used in the New Testament. The apostles didn't use that reasoning. Then why aren't we slaughtering cows? Why aren't we going down to the temple every year and the temple in Jerusalem for these things like God commanded? We're not under what God commanded to the nation of Israel. And remember, I mentioned this before, the instruction is to who it's given to. That all that instruction was to the nation of Israel Till the Messiah should come. The Messiah comes. He tells us what to do. The Messiah did not tell us to circumcise. He didn't give us any ritual for infants. And we see how the infant ritual fits, like Tonya was saying, the pattern for the nation of Israel. Because you were one of the chosen people of God just because you know you were an offspring of Abraham. That's a different kind of model than the people who are added to the church are only those who repent and they're baptized and they follow in the apostles' teaching. And the, those that stand firm to the end, those are the people who will be saved, those are the members of the church that are put there by God. It's a different model, but this is a dangerous thing. But you're right, though. millions and millions and millions of people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have believed what you're saying. It's dead wrong. But, yeah, and, and, and... Regardless of how far you go back into your hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, 
there was still a point in the New Testament where it was not done. Yes. It wasn't done whenever the New Testament was written. It wasn't done when we have the examples from. It was introduced later, and that's just historical fact. Yes, the historical record The historical out. record bears out that this was a concept and a practice that was introduced well after the New Testament was concluded. Right. So where's the authority for it? And what we have here is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Acts chapter 20, where he warns the elders from Ephesus before this is his swan song, but he tells them that from your own number, people will come to draw people away. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he's talking to the elders in Ephesus, and he knows he's not going to see them again, so he's giving them his swan song. And he mentions that I didn't shrink from declaring to you in verse 27, the whole counsel of God. I'll just start reading there. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit have made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that, verse 29, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Notice the urgency here. What we see in the example of the Catholic Church is what the Apostle Paul is talking about right there. From inside the church, people are going to come in and draw people away. And how are they going to draw people away? Well, just like what we saw beginning to happen in Acts 15, that they quashed other instruction coming in that was not part of what the apostles were given. Because remember, the apostles were the ones, you know, Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And the Holy Spirit has been given to the apostles to guide them into all truth. So then the apostles are the ones that have the instruction to give us. And if anyone comes to us with any other instruction or any other gospel, what does the Apostle Paul say in Galatians 1 should happen to them? Let him be a curse. That's yeah. what I just pulled up. It says, oh, that, that's what you just pulled up? Yeah, Galatians 1, yeah, 8 and 9. It doesn't say if anybody comes to you with any gospel other than that, make them pope. It doesn't say that. It says they should be a curse. Yeah. It's a great point. A lot of people think exactly what you're saying. In interesting. Interesting for me, as a historical uh, fact, when the uh, Great Schism occurred in the, uh, in the Roman Church, and there were two popes, one in Lyon, that is one of the uh, verses that they used most enthusiastically against each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course they were both wrong because they, they had both already departed. They had both already departed from the teaching. And quite often you get that among you know people doing dueling scriptures. But that's a really good point, Claude. And you just demonstrated two things that are very important, which is a lot of times people will hear or see the practices of the church and even people that say, and we're doing what we're doing because it's in scripture. But they're reading the scripture and they're saying they're not seeing what they're being taught, so they automatically assume, well, you know, this guy's got the outfit, this guy's got a doctrine of theology, he must know something I don't know, and it doesn't go any further. Instead of saying, 
hey buddy, I don't see it in here. How is it that we're supposed to do this? And that's how churches wind up this wide variety of teaching. And are we walking by faith? If we follow a practice that someone says is what we should be doing, but we don't see it in the Bible, who are we putting our faith in then? Are we putting our faith in God? Are we walking by faith? So now we're back to our topic, walking by faith. Are we walking by faith? Or, or are we walking by faith in whoever this guy is? Yeah, well, well faith that's, that's faith. I mean, they're, 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 if you're walking by faith in, in, um, in the teachings of, of somebody that, that you know, they really haven't, uh, they really haven't shown that, that this comes from the Bible, uh, they're still walking by faith. Well, they're walking by faith in someone yeah, other than God. Right, 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 right. So is that the biblical faith that is being referred to? When we're commanded to walk by faith. God doesn't expect us to walk by faith in someone other than Him. Right. Second well, Corinthians. Right. That's what the point is. You know, where is your faith? Is your faith in what this guy is telling you, or is your faith in God? Yeah. That's yeah. that's one exactly one type of faith is approved, and the other right. isn't. Right. That's exactly what. Once again, back to Mark seven that Dwight brought up. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does this bit over and over again. You have heard, but I tell you, you have heard such and such. You've heard people tell you, blah, blah. But I tell you, you know, he's saying, I know what you think, think again. I know what you've been told, I know what people have been telling you, because what Jesus Christ was faced with when he came to the nation of Israel is the same thing that we're faced with today, is that people are following all sorts of things. Now, Jesus knew because he came from heaven. When you study the Sermon on the Mount, imagine you're Jesus. You know exactly what the Word is because you are the Word. And you see what people are saying and you're like, ah, that's pretty much what the Sermon on the Mount all is. It's saying, yeah, I know what you think, think again. It should actually be called the corrections. The correction on the mound. Yeah. <laughs> the correctitudes. The holy correction. So the nuts and bolts of it is, and I think in the second podcast when I was talking to Keith, and, and I said, you know, people, when they come to the gospel, are always going to be looking, or they're reading the Bible, they're always going to be looking at what they read in the context of what their life experience has already been thus far. And he's like, yes, everybody does. And you might not give a second thought to something that's even, that even though it is contradicting what Scripture says. I was one of those people that when I first started reading the Bible had believed that I was baptized by having water sprinkled on my head as an infant. So whenever I came across the command to baptize, I'm like, I don't have to think about that. I've already been baptized. What's next? Okay, next step. And when a preacher said to me, no, 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 no. We've been studying for more than a year now and you're still not getting it. He finally, in exasperation, said to me, you're not getting it. You know, you haven't been baptized. And I responded to him, oh, yes, I did. I've been baptized. I'm going to show you. And I had rings of, you know, I went through the scriptures and I made my little proofs. And I had pages and pages and pages and pages of stuff that I wrote. And I handed it to him. And he was like, it's all bunk, but I'll walk through this with you. And it didn't go on for very long. After the first couple I just said, yeah, you're right, it's all bunk. I want to be baptized, because I have not been baptized. But it wasn't like 
he said it to me, and I, and I immediately said, oh, yeah, I get it. I see what's written in there. You know, what I'm confidently affirming now. It took a while for me to get it. Go ahead. Yeah, the fact that they, that they even used the word baptized rather than, I mean, they transliterated it rather than, rather than translating it. Right. So in other words, the, the word was... Immerse. Was, was, um, it meant to immerse, but they just transliterated it into English, and so, so they, didn't have to use, they didn't have to immerse anybody. <laughs> right, right, because it lost its meaning, because right. <laughs> they transliterated it. I don't think that was their intent when they transliterated it. Maybe but, it was. It was, such an important, it was such an important concept that let's give it a name. Let's not translate it and say, let's immerse this person, let's keep it special and let's call it baptized. In other words, the Greek term, whatever it was, that Baptizo. was translated Baptizo. as the, the, the closest possible translation into English of the day would have been immerse. Immerse. Or yes. dunk. Or dunk. The idea, the image that it was relating to was when you're dying a piece of cloth and you would immerse it in the dye. You would have to fully immerse it. Or what would happen if you didn't? You only immersed it far away. You wind up with this tie-dyed thing. But the point is, yes, complete immersion is what the word meant. I've often mused exactly what you're saying. Did the transliteration, was that helpful or harmful? That's a good question. If we're just reading the word immerse or dunk, I think there would be less debate about what it means. People wouldn't be debating that baptism really means sprinkle on an infant's head. That's a good point. We have, um, you know, as I said, we've got millions of people believing whatever. Well, you've got millions of people that believe there's no God. Right, that's true. And some of them are priests. And what does, what does, what does scripture call them? Think about that one. Fool. The fool is said in his heart there is no God. Exactly. <laughs> and that's in two places. Uh, yeah, yeah. Both in Psalms. Yeah. Was it 14 and 51? It's um, Psalm 14, I think it's 14. 14, 1 and 15, 3, 1. The fool has said in his heart. Yeah, it's in 14. Is it? It's 14 and, and what's it? 14, 1 and 53, 1. No, 53, yeah, oh, yeah. 53. Yeah, the fool, yeah, 14 and 53. Yeah, it's twice. In both of the songs. We touched on a number of concepts relating to walking by faith. Next week will be a little different, so make sure you plan to listen to episode 5, which will be part 3 of Walking by Faith. Special thanks to Claude, Dwight, Jeremy, and Tanya. Goodbye, and God bless. The love of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey.